This morning's reading is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This can be found in, on page 1235 in the, the Church Bibles. Revelation, chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. A very warm welcome from me as well. My name's Adam. I'm one of the clergy here. You may notice my voice is a bit gruffly. Uh, I'm thinking about starting a jazz album because uh, uh, I've got a bit of a man flu going on at the moment. I am learning from my incumbent and have my hot, uh, well, it's hot honey and lemon, actually, on this occasion uh, to help me through that. Um, we're going to be looking at this passage together in a moment. Just before we do that, uh, some of you may know that I spent a year or so studying medicine before I uh, became a vicar. And I don't know whether you've ever heard I decided it was not a good idea uh, for various reasons. One of them will become clear in a few minutes. Um, but I don't know if you've ever heard of nosophobia. Um, in, anyone here has. Or potentially you may have heard of it as medical student disease, um, uh, as it's often known as, or essentially hypochondria. It's very common for medical students in their first year or so uh, to believe that they have all of the ailments that they are studying. In fact, one student I'm aware of uh, in their psychiatry training Training, believed that they had schizophrenia, um, and then about two weeks later decided they didn't have schizophrenia, they had an inner ear infection, um, and they had neither of those. They were perfectly uh, well. Why am I saying that? Because actually I think sometimes when we read a passage of scripture, we can get spiritual hypochondria. We can look at a passage and go, oh no, it's all about me. It's all about me, the Lord, and I feel condemned, and I feel like the Lord doesn't love me. Actually, as we look at this passage, it comes with a little health warning. I really hope and pray that the Lord will speak to you uh, this morning, particularly with a challenge for the church in Sardis. However, as Jonathan said last week, if that challenge becomes overwhelming, if you feel like perhaps you're worthless and terrible, that isn't the Lord. The Lord loves you. He wants to speak words of encouragement to you. He wants you to grow in the design that he had in mind for you when you were formed. So have that health warning in your head as we look at this passage together. Before we do that, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it can dwell within us. We pray that as we look at this passage today, you would prompt us with the things you want to teach us from it. You would speak to us afresh through it. 
And ultimately, Lord, that your word would dwell within us deeply. Draw near, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as, as, as we've said, we're looking at this uh, letter to Sardis today. Perhaps we could put our map up. Uh, as Jonathan said, uh, we're looking at the seven churches uh, in, uh, in Revelation, and we're going around them as, again, Jonathan keeps saying, a bit like the postman would do it. It's a very fit postman because uh, there's about 50 miles between Thyatira and Sardis, uh, so it's quite a long uh, way around. But never mind, we're on Sardis today. Two more to do over the next coming weeks. Uh, and Sardis was, as a town, aside from it as a church, a very distinguished town. It had a distinguished history. It was a place of trade. It was uh, home to uh, King Croesus of Lydia, who was very wealthy, very generous in his wealth. And the church, as we hear in this passage, had a reputation for being live, alive. People, visitors would come and go, what a live church you have. We don't know, but it probably had lots of people. It probably had a large congregation. It probably had uh, brilliant programs and events that they used to run. It probably had plenty of money, plenty of human resources. And yet our first verse today says, You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. I suspect uh, it's speaking both in terms of the church corporately and individually, and we'll think about both of those things this morning. Firstly, the church corporately, and maybe the first point at which we need to remember our health warning, because St. Paul's Leamington Spa has a reputation for being alive. We have a relatively large congregation. We have a relatively uh, large, um, we're relatively wealthy with a large number of people helping with brilliant programs and brilliant events. I'm not sure that the cap fits, however, to say you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. One of the things I've been most pleased about since coming here is how much the leadership, the PCC particularly, trust in the Lord and in his guidance in what to do next. Of course, there are things that we could do better as a church. Of course, there are. But I don't feel, I don't sense that our danger, like the church in Sardis, is relying on our reputation too heavily. That said, I very much doubt that the church in Sardis woke up one morning and said, do you know what, from now on we're going to become hypocrites. Uh, We're just going to start relying on our reputation, we're going to do stuff that we don't care about really, no one else can see, and we're just going to rely on our reputation. I very much doubt that happened. I suspect these things happened without them realising. One of the things I came to do here at St. Paul's when I first arrived uh, was to help the office team to revamp our church website. Um, It was something they'd been wanting to do for a little while and I helped alongside. I'd done it in a previous church about 10 years ago in Bristol. And about that time, there was a small fashion for having a video on your home page which said something about you as a church. Often a member of the church would sort of say, hi, welcome, this is whatever church it is. Uh, uh, it was a fashion that died out quite quickly, fortunately. But we thought about doing this at Christchurch. And as I re- researched this, I came across this video. Let's watch it together. Hopefully. It is great to see that you are on our website. I'd like to invite you to our 9 o'clock service and our 11 o'clock service on a Sunday morning. It is absolutely amazing. We have a great laugh, we have great music, and we have great coffee too. So if you're not doing anything on a Sunday, why don't you come and check us out? 
that is the length of the video. I've cut it short so that you can't see where the church is, because actually I know the church, and they're doing great things for the kingdom of God. This is not representative of that church. But let me just repeat to you what he said, uh, not from the services. But it is absolutely amazing. We have a great laugh, we have great music, and we have great coffee too. So if you're not doing anything on a Sunday morning, uh, why don't you come and check us out? I've had their coffee. It's not bad. Um, uh, uh, But... I, don't, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I don't really care how good or how bad that church's coffee is. What matters, what their reputation should be built on, is if when you go into that place, you're able to meet with the Lord, if his word is preached faithfully, and if you go from that place, being part of that community, community transformed in some way. Coffee does not do that. I mean, I have two under three, and it does a bit of transformation in me, uh, but nothing like the transformation that the Lord does to us. We have here at St. Paul's uh, a reputation for a large number of students uh, and our student ministry at times. Uh, and uh, we actually, I don't know whether you know, we actively, actively encourage students at the beginning of each year, uh, new students, to, uh, to seek other churches and to say to the Lord, Lord, where are you calling us to be? Uh, where are we best going to grow in our relationship with you? Um, as a, uh, I, I've started saying this year that we're about kingdom building and not empire building, except to one student who I got that the wrong way around and told them we were about empire building, not kingdom building, which was mildly awkward, and I haven't seen them here, uh, so uh, it, didn't, it didn't go well. But our heart for student ministry is to create a space where our students can grow in their relationship with God. And for that end, I don't really care if one student comes or a hundred students comes, provided they're going to the places where God will most grow them in their relationship with him. We need to be careful about the image that we portray and whether we're focusing on that image or whether we're caring for the things that are going on beneath the surface, the things that actually matter. And this isn't just true of us as a church corporately. I think this is true of us individually as well. Many of you will know that about 11 or so weeks ago, Jess and I had a baby, baby Ellie. Welcome to her into the world. A delight as she is. Some of you may not know is that the birth was actually quite a difficult process. And Jess lost quite a lot of blood during that process. Uh, In fact, she lost so much blood that I passed out uh, during the birth. Another reason why I shouldn't have been a doctor, and it's better than I'm I'm a vicar, perhaps. Funny, all the same, but actually, I then became really unwell after that. I went into essentially medical shock as a result of what happened to Jess through that birth process. At one point, Jess was in her room, bleeding, surrounded by doctors, in her bathroom by her room, bleeding, surrounded by doctors. I was passed out on the floor, throwing up, surrounded by other doctors um, as well. Ellie, fast asleep, didn't didn't bat an eyelid to any of it, which is uh, very much a blessing. We entered our sixth wedding anniversary the day after Ellie was born, uh, with Jess upstairs in the labour ward, very unwell, me downstairs in A&E, not very well as well. Uh, Not something I can recommend. What's interesting is it took me four or five hours that morning of feeling so unwell. And if you've ever experienced shock or know people who have, it is a real, uh, real uh, shock, a real thing to the system, close to the system, really hurts you. 
I spent four or five hours feeling like that, determined that I wasn't going to go anywhere and I was going to stay with Jess to help her um, in some way or another. Actually, it took me four or five hours to realize I was not helping her. If anything, I was hindering her recovery. It took me four or five hours to phone her mum and ask her mum to come and be the support that she needed. It's probably one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make, phoning her mum on that occasion. Why? Well, I could say because I've promised to love, honour and uh, to protect her and I was just doing my duty as her husband. You might think differently, but I like to think of myself as having a bit of a reputation, however, as someone that's quite steady, quite uh, reliable, quite trustworthy, can be relied upon in a crisis. This was me admitting in Jesse's biggest moment of need in our relationship that actually I was still weak. It was very hard to do. Now, God has done a bit of a number on me over the last 11 or 12 weeks, as you might hope, in working out exactly what was going on there. I talk a lot about trusting God here. Was I really trusting God in that moment or was I trusting myself? Was I aware of the fact that if I have a reputation, you might not think I do, for being steady and reliable and trustworthy, it's only because I rely and trust in a reliable, steady and trustworthy God who will never fail us. If we rely on our reputations rather than relying on God, be that as a church or be that as individuals, we'll end up hurting ourselves in so many different ways. We'll end up hurting ourselves because we won't be real with both each other and also with the Lord. Admitting to him our weaknesses, allowing him, giving him permission perhaps to minister to us in that. We end up resting on our laurels, trusting in ourselves rather than in him. So I wonder, as we think about Sardis, what the ways are that we can see that we rely more on our reputation than we do on what's going on in our hearts. In what ways perhaps we're being hypocritical in what we present to the world compared to what's going on within us. So back to Sardis then for a moment. As I said, it was a vibrant uh, city. Uh, It was built on a mound. It was a walled city, walls all around it. At the back, there was a cliff, uh, uh, so uh, you couldn't access it from the back. There was only one access in, which was heavily guarded through these fantastic fortified gates. And I say it was a fantastic city and people wanted to overthrow it. And so it would uh, often come against attack. Uh, On one of those occasions, 500 years before Christ, Cyrus the Great, which I think is a great name. I'd love to be called Adam the Great. Um, Actually, I don't think I would. I think it would be my ego any good. But um, uh, but Cyrus the Great, I'm not sure where that one came from. Cyrus the Great came and decided he wanted to overthrow Sardis. And because these uh, access was, there's only one access, the walls were so heavily fortified, the walls were huge, the soldiers were there, he failed. It was just coming into winter, uh, and he decided that winter was a bad time to attack a city. Top tip for you if you're thinking of doing it. Um, uh, And so he uh, instead waited, said he would wait until the spring, and said to his soldiers, whilst we wait, if any of you comes up with a strategy for how to attack this city, then I will give you great financial reward. And one of his soldiers went for a walk and ended up around the back of the city where this cliff edge was. And he noticed that the cliff was very steep and at the top was a very small wall with just one or two soldiers guarding it. 
After a while, one of the soldiers leaned over the wall and the helmet fell off and went down uh, the embankment. And he expected this soldier to go off and find another helmet and come back. But actually what he did was he hopped over the wall and walked down the embankment, picked his hat up and went back up again. And what he realized by seeing this was actually the cliff face was nowhere near as sheer as it looked from the bottom. It was able, they were able to access it. And so Cyrus the Great and his armies in, over the cover of darkness scaled this, this, this cliff face over the very poorly guarded wall and overtook the city 500 years before Christ. Our reading says, verse 4, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. We can infer from this, uh, if there are a few people who have not, there are a lot of people who have soiled their clothes. The breeding doesn't tell us how they did this. But it's unlikely to be the sexual immorality or the following false prophets or the things that we see in the other letters in Revelation because he doesn't mention them by name. It's likely to be the smaller things, the things that perhaps we consider to be inconsequential at times. That picture, which I suspect uh, wasn't in the mind uh, as these words were written, but that picture of the city being heavily guarded um, from attack from the front, whilst not focusing on what's going on in the background, is perhaps helpful for us here. The city themselves were concentrating heavily on not sacrificing to idols, on not, uh, on not listening to false prophets, but perhaps were not paying attention to what was going on in the background. One of the things I love to do here, I've said this already, uh, is to marry people. It's a great uh, a privilege to do so. And uh, there are a few moments in the service where I really sense the presence of God is with us as we, as we go through the service. There are a couple of moments. One of them is perhaps a little bit odd, uh, but it comes from when I, I was a child. And just after the vicar has said to the congregation, if anyone knows why um, they're, 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 this couple cannot marry each other, he then turns to the couple. And I remember as a choir boy very young boy. I used to sit probably as far as the lectern is from me now from the uh, saintly old vicar who used to run our church. As he married couple after couple, he would turn off his microphone, turn to the couple and quietly say these words. The vows you are about to take are made in the presence of God who is judge of all and knows all the secrets of our hearts. Therefore, if either of you knows a reason why you may not lawfully marry, you must declare it now. It's one of those moments in the service where the hairs on the back of my neck still stand on end when I marry people now, where I can really sense the presence of God. These vows are made in the presence of God who knows all the secrets of our hearts. Earlier in Revelation, it talks about the fact that uh, the Lord holds uh, the churches in one hand and the Spirit of God in the other hand. He knows all the secrets of our hearts. He knows everything about us. If we think we can hide things from him, if we think they're small and insignificant, then we deceive ourselves. And we need to be careful of these smaller, um, these, what we consider smaller, inconsider, um, inconsequential things, that they don't grow into larger things. Uh, in Ephesians, it says uh, famously, do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the evil one access into our lives to allow the things that we think don't matter to grow. I've shared this quote with you before at least twice, and I suspect I will share it with you again until you tell me you're sick of it. Sorry. Uh, it's from D.A. Carson. If we could put that on the screen, John, thank you. People do not drift towards holiness 
Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. Perhaps we could just leave that on the screen just for a moment. I'll just give you a moment to think about that while I have a sip. So if we're in danger then of trusting our reputation, of allowing the smaller things, the the back gates to be unguarded, as it were, what's the remedy? We see in verses 2 and 3, he says, wake up and strengthen what remains. Remember what you have heard and what you have received, what you have heard and received. We're called to remember what we have heard, the gospel of Christ, and received the spirit of God in and through us. This is the same thing that Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, are told. They're called to remember uh, the, the, the Lord that they have, what they have received. One of my all-time favorite films of absolutely all time is The Lion King. And uh, one of my favorite scenes in that film is where um, Mufasa speaks to Simba from beyond the grave uh, and says to him uh, that he needs to go back to reclaim his place as the king of the Pride Lands. And he says, remember who you are. Remember, as it says in this passage, remember what you have received. Remember what you have heard. John Stott puts it like this. Perhaps there is no more urgent message than the command of Ephesians 5 to be filled with the Spirit. He dwells within us, but does he fill us? We possess him, but does he possess us? Paul's command is a present imperative passive. It means to go on being filled or even to be in the state of being filled. Only when the church of Christ is filled with the spirit of Christ can spiritual death be banished. Do we need to know afresh today the reality of what it is to be refilled, to be continually filled with God's spirit? Never wanting to leave you with the impression that I've got all of this sorted. About three weeks ago, I probably had uh, one of the hardest weeks of work that I've had in this place. Uh, It felt like one of the longest weeks of work I've had in this place, so much so that on Tuesday morning at 20 past nine, somebody emailed me and said, can you do something? Uh, And it may have been one of you because I can't remember who it was. Sorry if it was. I replied and said, I'm terribly sorry. I can't do that. This week has been too busy. And I went, it's Tuesday morning. How has this week been too busy already? And the week went on like that so that by the time I got to the end of it, it felt like I'd worked seven weeks rather than uh, six days as it, as it was. Uh, I actually was very unwell the following week, perhaps unsurprisingly, and uh, I spent quite a lot of time in the following week uh, with the Lord and listening to him. And he reminded me, made it very clear to me that the previous week had felt much harder than it needed to be because I hadn't done as good a job as I often do in being filled, of constantly being refilled with his spirit. 
I did a bad job of carrying things that I thought I needed to carry rather than the things that the Lord didn't need me to. How are we doing with this constantly being refilled with God's spirit? Do we give ourselves the time and the space uh, that we need or is life just too busy? Is it very easy to make excuses for the times that we set aside thinking we don't need to do that? Other things are far more important. Jonathan mentioned our prayer gathering on Wednesday evening. What are you thinking about that perhaps? Are you planning to come? It's my intention, as I've prepared for it, I've done so in preparing this talk, to give us a good amount of time for the Lord to do that work of refilling us and refreshing us, to worship, and before we pray for our world, our country, and ourselves. We always need to prioritize who we are and our refilling of the Holy Spirit before we go on to what we need to do. How do we do this? Do we prioritize it, whether that's corporately or whether that's individually in our own time? John Stott, reminder, John Stott said, only when the church of Christ is filled with the spirit of Christ can spiritual death be banished. So wake up then and strengthen what remains, as our passage says. I'm going to stop talking and give us a chance uh, to do that and the Lord the opportunity to refresh us. Perhaps you'll stand with me and maybe the band will come back. I'm going to do two things uh, this morning. Firstly, I'm going to pray for us um, that... uh, We'll pray a prayer of confession. You pray alongside me in your heads uh, for the times when we do rely on our reputation or for the things that we've allowed to seep in that we've not paid attention to. So let's do that first. Lord, we thank you for the church in Sardis. We thank you for this letter, for the warning that it gives us. And for the times when we rely more on our reputation more on ourselves and less on you and what you are doing in us and through us. We are sorry. For the times when we've been focused on the big things at the front, stopping the attacks of the big things, but not cared about the other things going on behind us. We are sorry. For the times when we don't prioritize you in drawing near to you, we are sorry. Just have a moment of silence to bring before the Lord anything particularly that he's challenged you with this morning. Lord, we thank you that there is nothing we can do that can separate us from your love for us. Would you help us to remember who we are, remember what we have received, what we have heard. As the church in Ephesus is told, would you help us to remember our first love?
And Lord, we pray once again that you would refill us with your spirit. I wonder if, John, you could put the picture of the glass overflowing back on the screen for a moment. I chose this picture particularly because the glass is massively overflowing with water. That What the Lord provides for us is far greater than we can ever ask or imagine. As the band perhaps begin to play in a moment, I'd love to invite you, if you would like, to come forward and mark... This occasion is a time when you know you need to be refilled with God's spirit. If you come forward, members of our prayer team will just come alongside you, lay a hand on you and pray a simple prayer, a blessing for you. But Lord, wherever we are, we know that we need to be constantly refilled by your spirit. Spirit of the living God, would you fall afresh on us, we pray. So as the band maybe begin to play and uh, we'll sing in a moment or two. If you'd like someone to pray with you, do come towards the front and members of the team will just lay a hand on you. <laughs>